Hello, everybody. This is National Demystified, a show in which I get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. Today, we talk with the Weird Sisters. My name is Alex Steed. I'm your host. Before we start, I want to take this opportunity to ask you right here at the top of the show to subscribe to the podcast wherever you do that sort of thing. Leave a review. It really does help, I am told. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and the gaping, messy wound that is Facebook. We're still there for some reason. I, I don't know why, but uh, uh, it's just it's just a fact of the matter. That's where people who want to promote things go and uh, feel bad about themselves. <laughs> The format of today's episode is a little different uh, from how it normally is. Typically, we run interviews or narratives uh, about Nashville and its history and uh, present day goings on. Uh, We've also, when the content calls for it, produced various kinds of sound collage, which is a format we really enjoy playing with today, honoring the fact that the Weird Sisters is at once a creative and offbeat endeavor. We uh, decided to mash all three formats together and turned our conversation with the band into a sound and audio collage. And I should say, by we, I mean me. It's just me here. Nashville Demystified is made possible by Knack Factory, a video and content production house with offices here in the city. It's distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts made by Nashvillians. All the shows are great. Go and listen to all the shows right now. I ran into the Weird Sisters by bumping into uh, band member Gabrielle at the five spot. Uh, My girlfriend played a show there and I noticed Gabrielle Lewis's red bodysuit and a long, long coat. uh, And she just looked great. And I complimented her on the whole thing. And uh, uh, she immediately started bragging about how the whole thing cost just $15. And I knew immediately I liked this person a lot. Then I realized I was already following her and the band on Instagram. um, And we made arrangements to chat and hang and featured the band on this this show and that was that so I should say going into the episode that the band is made up of a a Gabrielle Isaac Short Jeff Brown and Caitlin Crowley Uh, and despite having a a great chat we had a wonderful conversation the band's very warm and lovely and hospitable uh, and and we smoked a joint after and I accidentally got uh, super high and had to skip going to a party afterwards because I got too high Uh, but despite uh, that great chat. I realized the limitations of interviewing four people at one time. It makes for a great real-time conversation, but not necessarily the best exchange uh, for this kind of format. So I talked with Nashville Demystified's old friend, Jesse LaFontaine, who is a sound engineer who's worked with us in the past, uh, about turning it into collage and sort of turning it into what the exchange felt like in my head more than it probably actually sounded like in real life. So that's what we did, and that's what you're about to hear. Uh, and in in this case, I guess it is we. I guess it isn't just me. It's it's me and Jesse in this circumstance. <laughs> but Jesse, I should say, used a few Weird Sisters tunes to edit too. Uh, one is uh, their cover of Carol of the Bells, uh, and then there's Reminder Rewinder. And there's a song called The Martian Queen, and another called Will You Be Mine. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, I it just strikes me now that I didn't ask the weird sisters if their name is a reference to Shakespeare or Harry Potter. Maybe I will, uh, I'll do that in the future. <laughs> just a quick aside for you to consider a, a thing that I did not do. Anyway, the weird sisters, uh, they're truly a delight to hang and spend time with. And I'm glad that they let me come to their house and talk to them for an hour, uh, not having any idea how this whole thing would end up turning out. I really enjoy the output here and how this came together. 
I can't say enough good things about these folks. They're incredibly thoughtful and lovely. Their music is a is a is a trip. It's a total fucking trip. And if you have not dived in, now is definitely the time. Um, they sound like a band called the Weird Sisters. <laughs> It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I look forward to sharing this episode with you. So, without further ado, the Weird Sisters. Recent roommates that I've moved in with and stuff, super talented, all on their own projects and everything. And it's just like you get to jam with them. It's just so cool. The art of the jam. idea of jamming is so um, important in music and, and intrinsic and in life yeah um, just getting people in a room and just playing with things until it works whether, whether that's the music get a bunch of people in a room and you just start following the intuition of music or or, or just you, you, you know in life just trying new things and, and seeing what happens and uh, you know that like jamming is almost like a muscle like once you once you take it to that level it's um it's, it's just the flow. And that, that energy, whatever music is, like it, it, it comes in and it, it inhabits you. It's not necessarily a product of yourself or your hard work. It's just you, you yourself are a tool able to create it. And um, like that, that force drives you. And once you think of your, um, like your, your, your physical nature as a tool, you're able to um, be able to drive that some pretty crazy places. And um, we, we've, we've had some beautiful moments playing music together and spending time I'm Gab, Gabby, Gabrielle, you've been talking to me. Oh, I'm Isaac. Um, I guess I play the fucking guitar. I'm Caitlin. Uh, I do some singing. I'm Jeff, and I play the drums. Like jamming is almost like a muscle. It's just the flow, flow, flow. But that was the first time we ever powwow. Outside, there was a door <laughs> to go outside right next to it the really stage. It really was. So That's where we loaded in, and it almost kind of made more sense. And then there was a door across the bar to go outside. So like I went to the, the close one, and they went to the far one. Miscommunication. An album's like a mood thing. You gotta have like the attention span for a whole mood. You yourself are a tool able to create it. their souls yes want them to, to feel things yeah um we don't know what that means because i think we're at, we're just evolving and growing
one in the test. Okay, we checked all four systems, and there you go on modulation, all four, and keying was a go. There was a cover band that I played in. Uh, we played once a month at Brown's Diner, and uh, we needed a guitar player. And just so happened this this little young kid <laughs> young had blood. just moved to Nashville and he was working in one of the other guys in, in the band's shop. And so he showed up and he played a couple songs. And well, that's I was scared actually if I didn't go. Was that Todd? I, if I, yeah, it was Todd. I was scared if I didn't go, they'd fire me. So I really wanted that job. So Todd invited you. He's just like, come play. You play guitar? Yeah, he asked me to play Crossroads and uh, Tore Down. Um, and... I walked in there and it was it was feeling pretty good. I was really nervous in the parking lot. I almost went back to Pittsburgh, but <laughs> I quit my job in Pittsburgh. You know, t two weeks before I moved down here, mm. I just immediately made the decision to go, and then and that's where I met Jeff immediately. That's great. But they started the band. I wasn't part of the band for a while. Yeah, it was just <laughs> there, us on our lonesome. There was like a long stretch between me meeting Isaac and me actually joining their band. Do I don't really that? know when it actually became. Official, because at, at first I was just kind of playing drums with them a little bit till they met somebody or found somebody that they well, we didn't think wanted, you wanted to play to with. We didn't think you wanted to do it because we were like oh. kids and, you know, you, you've been <laughs> on, you know, more official kinds of assignments. But that's kind of how I figured it. I figured they were just like, I was a, they had these gigs and I was a drummer that they knew and I could play the part. So they asked me to do it, but then they just kept asking me to show up and I just kind of kept showing up. Yeah. And then it became official. And then it sort of became... Uh, official, I, I guess when we released the album, my name was on there. connection to music has always been it's like spiritually fed because growing up in the church I mean the music was the only thing I really paid attention to you know that was like that was the best time and we'd go to concerts and stuff it was I know I went and saw Santana with my dad mm -hmm. I was at DT Energy Theater yeah like on the lawn and then um I remember we were at, I think, Joe Louis Arena one time. We saw Eric Clapton there. And that was the first time it was it was kind of different because I I was young enough that we I'd like looked back and this guy had this white t-shirt on and he had some blood on it. And there was like the security coming down and stuff, and my dad's like, oh, he's like, they're just drunk, man. They're just like he just had, you know, got too, they had too much to drink. And, like, experiencing that, I'm like, whoa, this is like a rock and roll concert. I'm like, okay. Because it's like, then you're at church on Sunday, and you're like, all right. This is, this is different. Music is just such a mood-based thing for me. Remember I saw Sigur Rós at uh, Fontanelle. Um, they're that Icelandic band. I'm like, that's the one show where I had, like, an out-of-body experience. Just totally organic. I mean, it was like... Everybody that was there, it's like, it felt like, I was like, wow, I'm in an outdoor church. Like, it was like a worship service. Um, but that's just like how I connect to it. And also, being outside in an outdoor amphitheater, you've got the woods surrounding. Um, that's just where I feel like I'm like a whole person. I'm a whole being. 
So I was at a live performance. I went to see the New York Philharmonic. I was uh, 16 years old and I was obsessed with opera. I went to see Verdi's Requiem. And there was this one part, um, it's like the, uh, the, the part of the opera where everything is like heaven and hell, purgatory, and there's this massive like chorus where everyone is just full forte in the orchestra and the choir, double chorus. So just like probably 280 people, just as full volume as could possibly be. I remember in that moment just feeling as if every part of my body was just like on fire. I was like, I'm gonna fucking do this. I'm gonna do this and now I'm not doing exactly that now. But that was my moment with music when I was just like, yes, and not just that, but it was so inspiring. And I mean, that's most fascinating to me because that, that shit's hundreds of years old. And the fact that it can still get a rise out of people today, I mean, man. My first concert I went to was Farm Aid in 95. It was at uh, Louisville Stadium. And uh, having never been to a concert before and then going to that, it was like uh, Willie Nelson and, and John Mellencamp and, and I think Tom Petty was there and Neil Young, Dave Matthews Band. And we snuck down, we had crappy seats, but we snuck down on the floor and we just kept having to like move around because the security guards would come around. We, we didn't have actual seats, so we just kind of like would like shuffle into a place when nobody was there and then we'd move along when they came, came back. But. Uh, like Elvis kicked me in the balls, and I felt that sting for like five years. Like, it, I mean, it was nuts. Yeah, just get, getting into Elvis, but like, you just the just the energy and in, in, in the in the soul of the the whole fucking thing. But oh but like live speaking, I I, I my, my first like live show that I saved up and saw was the Eagles, and I saw like a run of just like old old motherfuckers in concert. It was I saw the Eagles, saw Clapton, I saw Fleetwood Mac, and uh, like. Wow. You know, this is like 2008 or something, but it was like, I was young and I was, you know, it, it, was, it was the thing, but I, getting back, I saw B.B. King, we were talking about B.B. King earlier, um, and the dude who opened for him was, of all people, Willie Nelson's son, it was Lucas Nelson? Yeah, yeah so it was Lucas Nelson, Promise of the Real, and this is probably like 2008, 2009, and um, it was the Station Square in Pittsburgh, it was raining, and it was this, you know, beautiful show, but it, um, it was all outdoors. And the opener was Lucas Nelson, and I'd never seen anyone perform like that because I've only ever been gone. I've only ever gone out to see all these, you know, um, g gentlemen in their, you know, 60s, 70s, and I'd never seen a young guy with like spirit get on a stage and perform. He's barefoot and the dude's murdering this guitar. Um, it's raining like a motherfucker. The, the drummer looked like Ginger Baker. Like that's all I remember. And I mean, he's just. It was just. It was a crushing performance. And then BB King comes on, and it's like spiritual from there on out. But. That, that whole show was just a big turning point in like performance and reverence. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was probably like the, the, the real big one that, that, that got me. Because I was obsessed with music completely and utterly before that. And, and, and maybe it took that experience, like just more understanding to appreciate that. But that was a huge turning point. It was just like I knew exactly like what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it in a lot of ways. It was just like a big piece of the puzzle that... It, it, I didn't understand it was like within two hours like I had zero understanding and then I knew exactly what I had to do
she is the final piece of the puzzle. Very recent. Yeah, what? Six Seven months? months ago. Seven months now. She came in just in time to finish our record. Started off with me um, taking a two-year hiatus kind of from, from music or like playing in a band at all. I kind of was ready to leave Nashville. After being here in August, it was 11 years for me. I had played in another band for about five years here and we put out an album and then I quit a little after that. Um, we made it past that. So. Yeah, yeah. And that was partially why I took a step back. Because I, I think the idea of like joining another project such as this is like I'm a, I put my heart into, you know, into a project, you know, 100%, like, and my heart has to be in it totally. Um, so the idea of that and then just like, gosh, you know, being in a relationship with <laughs> being in a band is definitely, you know, just being in a relationship with your, with your pals. It was like, I didn't, I didn't know if I was uh, ready to do that again right off the bat. Felt like something was really unresolved though, like in my heart um, and towards music and everything. And then I started getting like Facebook messages and Instagram messages from Gabrielle Hannah Lewis. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was being a creep. I'm like, oh, this girl, hmm, she's got it. And I immediately started lurking and I was like, the weird sisters and this and the, and I'm like watching, I'm like, well, Layla looks really cool. I know. It was overwhelming because I knew just by the preview of like one of her messages, I literally put my phone down and I was like, I'm going to go about my day and just do everything I planned on doing today. And I'm going to come back to this because I know I'm going to have to make a choice. I could tell just from the preview, she was going to ask me to be a part of something. And I knew that was going to change things for me. So was still like doing personal stuff musically like writing trying to get better at guitar you know um but yeah it just just happened I came over here and the first night I was here and I met Gabby and Isaac it was like the first date and um by the end of it I just knew I was like I'm gonna be in this band and I'm you know I can't say no um because seeing the space and seeing how they lived knowing just already how gifted they I knew that they were um, and how serious they were, I was like, I, I don't know. I like want to be a part of this. Uh, the music is here. It's, it's all around us, you know, just like these guys want to create. They're as weird and as cool as I feel like I me. So I'm like, all right. Step into the 
always ask me, oh, who are your influences? What do you sound? I don't know this and that. And like, I know who influences me, but I don't think that that has any bearing on our sound. I think our sound is like its own thing. But because we all come from such different backgrounds too, it's like the fact that we unite over that and we create what we create, that's just, it's really cool. I think a lot of, like I felt when I, you guys first started showing me songs, it's just, and I agree with Isaac, it's like anything we can do to unite people and just be like, look at us, we're all really different, but we work together as a team. Where I came from, it wasn't, you know, it was just like tumbleweeds, man. You play in, you know, tattoo shops and basements and house parties and stuff. And it was fun and there's so much energy um, to perform and make music in, in, in places like that. But um, there's no room to grow. So I think Nashville kind of has its, like there's a ladder if you're willing to climb it just as far as, you know, reaching people. a really good community um, and I just try to be open to mind enough to keep that ever reaching I feel like when I had thrown shows and stuff and put um, like I threw a birthday show and handpicked all my favorite Nashville bands to build a bill that I felt like was cohesive and awesome rock and roll show um, and I feel like I, I like that I like bringing friend groups together that wouldn't necessarily collide um, but then I want I make that happen and you're like Look, yes, you guys should have known each other. Scene is certainly very supportive, I would think. I would say. I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can be a fan of so many things. It's not just like, you know, you can only be a fan of one thing. Like, we can all support each other and be fans of music. And, you know, every fan of music or whatever, they, they, they can, they can like, 30,000 different bands and support them all at the same time just by listening to music. It's great. I started playing drums when I was five. Um, I was a real hyper kid, so my parents bought me a drum set. <laughs> and then they figured I sh they should probably give me some lessons so I didn't just randomly beat on them. <laughs> um, so, I mean, pretty much for as long as I can remember, I mean, I don't really remember that many things before I was five. So I pretty much always played drums. So, I mean, drums have always been a huge part of my life. Uh, when I was uh, five to probably eight, um, I found my parents' record collection, which wasn't very big because they didn't—they weren't music listeners. But they had uh, two Beatles albums and uh, Beach Boys' Pet Sounds. Wow. And The Ventures. I don't know how that one got in there, but... Um, and I think a Mama's and the Papa's record, but that one got scratched. I remember finding this little box with all these records, and the, 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 the Beatles album, the first one I listed was Hard Day as Night. had all the little pictures on the front, which I thought was, was cool. And I remember putting it on, and that guitar, that, that guitar intro to Hard Day's Night starts. And it wasn't anything, there was nothing like that that was on any of the, the three records that I currently own. And I just remember being like, wow, I want to listen to more of this. And I kind of wore those, those records out, and then, I, then cassettes were a thing, so I got a cassette player. I went to a, a drum clinic when I was eight. It was a Liberty DeVito, who was Billy Joel's drummer. And being an eight-year-old kid and seeing this guy come up there and just play, just play drums, and, and he's uh, notorious for being a really, really heavy hitter. I mean, he just hits the shit out of the drums. And, uh, you know, watching him as a kid, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. 
And uh, I went out and I bought a bunch of Billy Joel tapes. I started off playing classical music, that and jazz, all through childhood and um, even college. And then I met him and started doing rock and roll. The thing is for me, I, I still love and respect that music, um, honestly, sorry guys, more than any other kind of music. Um, but it doesn't mean it has to be a career right. path because there was a lot more that went into it than just the music. There were a lot of politics, um, a lot about you know being a woman in that world and what that meant and you know being especially an orchestral conductor and just kind of, I just didn't want to you know deal with a lot of the bullshit that went along with it. So. Um, and now I'm able to be really creatively fulfilled and play music with my friends and not have to worry about coordinating, you know, 60 to 100 members for every rehearsal, which is nice. I just remember always really liking music a lot, um, listening to the radio in my, my, my dad's van. Um, but he gave me a pile of records um, that were uh, 45s that were specifically for him going into... Um, basements in high school and, and kissing girls. Yeah. yeah. And they put on the records and they put the 45s on and everyone would start kissing and dancing and belly rubbing. So he had all these left over from, you know, my, um, from, I don't know, there was Elvis and the Jordanaires and, I mean, like, uh, Louis Louis the Kingsman, um, what, uh, J J J Jimmy Dean was at, uh, yeah, there were, there were so many cool cuts in there. The guy, he gave me a voice and music record player. I sat with, like, you know, I was like four or five, and I just listened to those all the time. And um, all this, like, you know, late 50s, early 60s, rock and roll. And then I saw Back to the Future, and I saw Marty McFly just, like, destroy Johnny B. Good. And I knew then that I was like, I want to play the guitar. I just want to play the guitar. And I, I played a little bit of piano, you know, from, like, the time I was, like, six until... 12 or something, but I picked up the guitar around nine, around then, and it was just like a piano, what? Like, I couldn't, I didn't care less about it. I just wanted to play the guitar all the time. I had an old classical guitar. And I just, it became like a journey of just like, trying to figure out how to play everything, but like simultaneously, like trying to find music. Like, I remember just going and, any recommendation, like falling into the ninth degree, figuring out every album, like all the songs, who played on it, who mixed it, who produced it, like, just like an overall obsession with like, just music, it just didn't have anything to do with genres, just whatever caught my fancy for, and it's still going on, you know, like I'm just, I'm still there, like I just haven't, haven't got out of that phase yet, because it's just the, the education, just like listening, you know, just, mm -hmm. just like art, artistically, like seeing how, and, and being able to look back into older music, especially you see someone's artistic um, development over a huge span of time, like a lifetime, you're able to look back on that now, if you look at like B.B. King's like discography, what, what does that mean? Like that whole overarching, like this is what he did every moment of his career, every, every two years they put out an album, this is what represented him then, like following that linearly, like that, that's, that's a beautiful thing that we're able to do now considering how old recorded music is. So my mom, my mom always sang that whole side of the family, my mom's side, I remember holiday get-togethers and everything. We're singing carols out of carol books. And um, I was in church, you know, just as young as I could remember. And so I think there are just photos of me on stage. It'd be like me and my mom holding my baby sister, like toddler in the mic, you know? And 
I don't think I knew what I was consciously even doing, but it was singing and just, it was nothing better than to like have my mom hear her singing around the house and stuff. And she would get me and my sister and her together and we'd just sing a cappella, and she taught us to harmonize. And my dad was just a lover of music, absolutely tone deaf. You know, my mom, would she'd pick on him, but he, he loved, he was just a lover of music, kept all, he still has a bunch of old concert stubs, like thick stacks, you know, rubber banded up, yellowed, and I'm just like, what? You know, he's the one telling me about the concerts he's been to, and just like me and him going down the back roads to get to the like town nearest, like 20 minutes away to go to the water park. And we'd listen to Tom Petty and Steely Dan, Steve Miller Band, you know, sticks and like, and I, and it, it always sparked, their conversations were sparked where it's like, Dad, you know, what does the last dance with Mary Jane, what does that mean? Is he talking about a lover? Is he, you know, and I loved the songs and I didn't even know, I didn't know what they meant, you know. My mom would play records. Um, she got a lot of cassettes too. I'd remember like opening up their, closet in their bedroom and just like they would all be stacked and kind of lined on the bottom just open it up and and you know so if I wasn't like memorizing bible verses or something I was singing with a little hairbrush like doing doing that whole thing and because my mom loved it too a lot of musical stuff a lot of um watching Turner classic movies with her and singing the songs from that seeing the sets that's just like performance to me, it was like, wow, they do it all. And it's great for my brain because I, I visually everything create, combining that and music, I like, just love that big picture. And so it's, it's, it's there, it's just in my blood, I think. Um, I couldn't get away from it. I know my mom settled down and she had us kids and stuff. And I think she'd always, she could have maybe gone that route when she was younger and she didn't and I'm like, like well I was like I was like I gotta do it um so she's really supportive and uh, but yeah I've heard I've heard a thing for I just being born into it on your guitar and like not girls and not getting yeah like just and like just 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 focus on guitar and not anything else that you're doing but but I didn't do that and I still had a really fucking great time and fucked a lot of shit up don't go to college straight don't make those rash decisions definitely move out of out of your small hometown and get out and just go for it 
try to stay focused on the things that I really want and not get si sidetracked by you know, all these distractions that, that you seem to have in life. You know what? They didn't do it better, they just did it different. So, be creative. Be creative. I haven't been with you guys that long, and we're still just becoming like the best of friends. Like, but I can say, like, I love you. I love you guys. Love you too. Love you too. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to National Demystified. Again, I'm your host, Alex Steed. National Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory, and we own this town. This episode in particular was engineered by the great Jesse LaFontaine, who, when I need a sound collage done, that is the man. That is the man could, to go to. He knows what's going on. Um, tune in next week for the beginning of our dive into Nashville in the 1980s. It's a mini series. I have no idea how long it's going to run. It. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we're gonna go. And I think that's sort of why we're going in this direction. And and to kick off this series, I'm going to start where else? But 1990. <laughs> so we can figure out where the 80s landed Nashville and, uh, and go backwards from there. Tune in. I look forward to talking with you and I look forward to sharing, uh, sharing that episode. Thanks so much for listening. Again, this is National Demystified signing off. Mm -hmm.